Commandos. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Hunter Muscaro, Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nook is spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my new friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Tuesday instead of Monday. Remember, just a two-week show, Tuesday, Thursday. We'll get back to Monday, Wednesday, uh, and we might do a Friday, depending on uh, – I'm trying to think. Ah, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, next Thursday, the Chattanooga game. That's yeah. going to be a tough one because I'll probably be up to like 3 or 4 a.m. cutting audio and doing post-game Yeah, stuff. we may or you may not. come at 4 a.m. do a show? Yeah, I mean, I can. I mean, listen, listen, the truth is uh, it's a four-hour ride back, so by the time I get off air and get here, we probably could roll right into that yeah. show, get it over with, wow. and then uh, we could take Friday off. You freshen our minds, too, yeah. so we'd be able to just talk and talk. We'd talk be very, very happy or very upset, so it'd be an emotional show one way or another. I'm hoping for very happy. I'm Isn't it always emotional, though? You. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I cry most nights. All right, let's take a look at uh, – it is Tuesday. We usually recap the game. We'll do so as well. Uh ETSU could not recover from the first half of the Wofford Terriers, and Joe Newman had a half for the ages. He only had five touchdowns all of last year, nine career coming in to the game against ETSU, two touchdowns this season. He had four in the first half and finished with 185 yards rushing. 122 and, of those in the first half. And the backbreaker, I think, was the 15, the, when, to go up 14 nothing. ETSU had it strung out. Uh, a play in which would have been third and long and probably Wofford's got to chunk the ball down the field and instead he breaks contain cuts back and next thing you know 59 yards later uh, he's taking it to the house and then really uh, from there 14 nothing ETSU had a chance to score a touchdown maybe get back into that and I mean the second half was was great and you could play the woulda shoulda coulda but man if they could have come out with sort of that sense of purpose in the second half who knows but they didn't credit Wofford and boy they're playing some really good football right now yeah and I think that I was higher on Wofford than most coming in and you can see why now they had the weird early season loss to South Carolina State who again is a top 30 team right now in the country then the loss to Sanford now that does look a little more strange after Furman decimated Sanford this past weekend 58 to 14 which we'll talk about a little bit in the top 25 on Thursday as we got a little bit of show reorganization this week but I thought you heard in my key pregame Jay and, and I won't run from this or any of my takes on this Wofford game I just was 100% off on pretty much everything I think I said that you could have Joe Newman do whatever he kind of wanted you know let him do his thing and you just got to take away everyone else that was the blueprint at least so far through the year well it turned out that sample size wasn't quite big enough to give us an idea of what exactly you did need to do because Newman was just electric uh, I, I kept saying here in studio as we were listening and watching, like, okay, that, that's got to be the last one. That's got to be the last one. That's got to be the last one. And it, it was four and one, like you said, the 59-yarder. And 
It's 14 nothing. You get the field goal. I thought that that one hurt. I really thought that hurt. You get the big kick return from Quay Holmes. Then you get the big run from Quay Holmes. And it's like, okay, Quay can only do so much. You hand it to him two more times. All of a sudden, it's third and six. You just need that first down. You need to get seven off that drive. You know, you start at the 35-yard line of Wofford after the, I think it was 59-yard kick return. And there's almost some symmetry there. It's like, okay, well, Joe Newman went 59 yards. Here's Quay Holmes. Snaps back for 59 of his own. And then the run. And then you have a three-yard pass to Isaiah Wilson, and you have to kick the field goal. It's 14-3. to And then if you give up a touchdown on the next drive, then it's like, wow, we just had our best chance. We got three, and all of a sudden we're down 21-3. to That's exactly what happened because 57 yards from Jaquez Allen. I mean, things could not have gone worse in that first half. And like you said, if there was any sense of purpose, any resilience, any fire coming out of the locker room in the first half like there was in the second half, perhaps there would have been a chance. And we'll hear from Randy Sanders in the second segment about all of this but clearly it was not there um and as Sanders said it's confusing why you know because you've got great fans it's a chance to beat the only team that you haven't beaten in the southern conference since football's been back and unfortunately that streak continues and even in the second half you know I, I was sitting here and it started to feel like the Furman game you know you were you were building the energy you had a couple great calls on touchdowns uh specifically the Quay Holmes one I thought was fantastic and things are starting to come together, and then you get it to 28-17, to 17, and you're at midfield, and you're like, okay, just get points here. You're at midfield. It's a short field to work with, and you can't get those, and you have to punt, and that's when I think the air kind of got let out of that comeback. It's the difference, again, between last year and this year. Seemed like those well, plays you and, needed. And the funny thing is, you have about midfield, and, yep. and, uh, and I agree with Coach Sanders at the time. It's easy. I know the second guess go, oh, I probably shouldn't kick. But it was fourth and eight. And yeah, ETSU has been less than 15% on third and long. I don't know why you think fourth and long being better. Plus, the defense played great. There's 11 minutes. Kick it down there. And a matter of fact, they get the first two sort of stops. It's third and four. And then they have Joe Newman in the grasp. And he somehow kind of squirts free and gets five yards and a first down and then you slowly saw Wofford and there were three other times to stop third down on that drop I'm 100% with you if it's fourth and two fourth and three go for it and I think he would have I think coach Sanders would have gone but right now with this offense what play do you call fourth and eight I don't I don't know I don't have an answer I I don't either and 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 they haven't been very good at that and the defense I mean you the defense has struggled in the first half was quite ridiculous in the second half. Absolutely. And maybe it was just a matter of time for Wofford kind of got loose in the second half because they were really held in check that, that third quarter. And except for the one drive, they were held in check in the fourth quarter. But really that third and four from Wofford's 14-yard line, because you did your job. You, you punted the ball and got a fair catch at the eight-yard line. It's third and four from the 14. They have Newman right around the line of scrimmage, it appears, Newman breaks free and gets a first down. If they make the stop there, Wofford's punting out of their end zone again. You're going to get the ball near midfield again. And let's see, that probably, that, nine, that, that first down happened with 929. Yeah. So, so even if you ran a little bit of clock down, you're talking about 840, probably you get the football back. You got eight and a half minutes for another score. And then you're talking about the place really starting to pick up and Wofford starting to feel some pressure at that point for sure. Um but, you know, that, that there's a couple turning points. I think the field goal in the first half um, and then two, I, sort of in conjunction, not getting a first down at midfield on, on that drive slash giving up the third and four. Yeah. But you put yourself behind the, the eight ball again, right? I mean, it's just you, – you can't really spot any team 
25. And I know last year it gives people hope from a 21-point you know, point comeback, a 16-point comeback against Western last five minutes. But those aren't the norm, right? No. Those are not normal things to, to try to overcome. And Sanford, I think, got the luck of Wofford still trying to get back to their identity. I think they got them at the right time. Now, last three games, Wofford has truly embraced what they have been and you're starting to see a very good football team because Joe Newman is playing at a high level. Yeah, and we saw it on the game icing drive. And, I mean, I just – I'm always very impressed with drives like that, whether it's Wofford or – you see it a lot in the Big Ten. So maybe it's because I grew up around it and you see the rough and tumble between the tackles, run right at them, 21 play, 82-yard, you know, 11-minute drive or whatever it ends up being. Uh, 15 plays for Wofford, 92 yards, 7.47 off the clock when they took over with 11 minutes left. Like you said, I mean, after that, third and four, and then Newman breaks another one. He didn't really do much in the second half, but that 133-yard run, that, to me, was pretty much it. I mean, there was still time left, and you still could have gotten a stop, but the field position at that point was flipped. And then you're going to have to go the length of the field, or at least 60 or 70 yards to get three and make it a touchdown in a two-game, but... I think you nailed it. I think those were the turning points, one in the first half and one in the second half. And you just have had those plays that have gone ETSU's way in the 2018 season when you needed a big completion. You know, Austin Herrick, much gruff as we give him on this show, um, he was a gamer. He was someone that got the job done in those moments. You know, he rose to the occasion. And it doesn't seem like right now this offense has that capability and it, that shouldn't be a surprise either you know you, you've got the two horses in the backfield and then you've got a lot of unproven options outside you've got options that you thought you'd be able to rely on that are barely playing at all outside and then you've got a redshirt freshman quarterback so and I, I don't blame any of those guys it's just how it is right now you know and this game was a lot closer than the final score indicated without a doubt and I'm not trying to be Mr. Blue and Gold Sunglasses you know I'm I think that's a little bit of our job, but I'm not trying to go over the top with it. But, you know, you look at a couple of those moments, and maybe that's the case in a lot of games, and I know it was 35-17, to 17, but you look at a couple of those moments, and you get a touchdown, it's 14-7. to 7. Defense comes out and has a little bit of belief in the team's ability to wings. So I think a lot of it comes down to that sometimes. No one would say it, right? No one would. Jared Folks didn't say it last week. He had all the right answers in the press conference in terms of how the defense views the offense. But, I've been in those situations as an athlete where you do everything you can, and I'm sure the defense has felt like that sometimes this year, and you don't have the support, and it's an empty feeling, you know? And so when you get the field goal, it's 14-3. to Defense has been on the field forever, it seems like, in the first half already. They get another touchdown, it's 21-3. to And then in the second half, you know, you get them the ball back. The defense does get the offense back you know, the ball at midfield, and it's an 11-point game. Let's get us some points. It'll be a one-score game, and that momentum continues, and it just didn't happen. Didn't come to fruition for ETSU, and they'll have uh, some time now to to prepare for the arch rival of Thursday night game against Chattanooga. We'll hear from head coach Randy Sanders. More on this contest from Wofford. Right this time, out to a word from Sanders' sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now... We've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. 
Sanderson and Sidekick back with you on a Tuesday edition, and we will have one more show this week, a Thursday with a bye week. We'll take a little bit of a break ourselves from the podcast, just two days instead of three days. Back with you Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Next week we prepare for the Thursday night game against Chattanooga. But before we get that far, Randy Sanders on the game against the Terriers. I mean, the first third down, we got third and, what, one and a half. We just completely don't execute the play right. It, it's unbelievable. And it's, it's not like it's a new play. It's one we've been running for two years. And then you, you talk to them, and some of the answers you get on the sideline, you're just like, wow, we're, we're inventing stuff. They have another possession. We get it back, and we go three and out again. And we can't do that. Offensively, you've got to make first downs. And, and, and it wasn't like Wofford was doing anything really, really special. We, we failed to execute. Second possession, we snap it to Malik and – I didn't see exactly what happened, but I know it's just a touch pass to Sailors, and we've done it like 17,000 times, and for some reason we can't do it today. You know, I can't explain that other than we got some guys that ain't ready to play, and you better get your butt ready to play every time you come out here. You're going to get beat in this league, not just this league, but most leagues, but especially in the Southern Conference. Teams are too good for a lackadaisical start like we had today. Coach almost sounds like you a little bit there, 17,000 times. He's still alive from you, but he focused more on kind of the beginning portion of the game. You and me talked about those two really big moments, but I think for Coach Sanders and as a coach, you want to see that energy right away. You want to see good execution. The first thing he talked about was third and one at your own 14. You give the ball to Jacob Sailors twice on first and second down. You get it down to third and one rush for no gain, have to punt it away, and Wofford takes over at the 44, uh, ends up getting their first touchdown. Then that touch pass to Sailors, pretty simple execution it sounds like usually, but when you're not ready, maybe you don't execute as well. It, it was It's hard to make that play an incomplete pass, and I don't know if the snap aside from McGew to Sailors was high, but it still should have been. There was a couple of times things like that happened. I'm, uh, you know, you think about that play where the – Bucks couldn't execute um, on a touch pass. I think Cam Lewis, who I know is not a receiver um, by trade, really. He's trying to figure it out. But, like, he's got a four- or five-yard game if he just catches the football. Spagnoletti has the weird swing of emotions where he drops one wide open, hmm. then contested down the field about as tough as catch as you can make. Catches I mean, the backside of the ball, yeah. I mean, it's really just there, – there were several – a few missed blocks and assignments from the line that we haven't seen, really. Uh, and, and so I think, you know, Trey did a much better job of being a little quicker with his decision. It was still a couple times I think, you know, he, he could have got rid of the football a little sooner. Uh, but, you know, uh, it's just everything in the first half that went wrong did, and it was really everybody. I think everyone shared, maybe not special teams, but other than that, I think everyone kind of shared in the blame of the first half. I definitely want to make sure to call out that exact point because I'm not one to talk about special teams as much as you are, but I thought the special teams were very good. You got that spark that you wanted, finally a big play, and right when you needed it with Quay Holmes on that 59-yard return, Tyler Keltner makes his 27-yard field goal and a couple extra points, Landon Kunak, four touchbacks, excuse me, in four attempts. I thought Garrett Taylor punted the ball really well. In less than ideal, uh, in a less than ideal situation throughout most of that first half, at least, and averages 43 yards per punt on five of them. So I, I thought special teams was very good. Well, and, and his average went down some because late in the game he was able to pin Wofford deep, so he sacrificed average yards to to again play field position where he got one caught at the uh, I think the 11 and the eight. So he he did a phenomenal job. I thought. Would agree though. The two of the three phases were just not up to par. We won games last year, and we. Uh, 
we would sit up here and talk after the game in these situations and didn't know how in the world we hit one that game. How, how did that happen? What what happened? I think I referenced it possibly Wednesday night or maybe Monday. I think, honestly, we're a better football team from top to bottom right now this year than we were last year. I think we're more talented. You know, some people say luck. Well, luck comes when preparation meets opportunity. Since we started August 1st, it seems like I've been pushing this group to prepare, pushing them to, to do the things that we need to do to get ready, really ready to play. We still want somebody else to do all the hard work and us still get to enjoy the spoils of victory. We got to roll our sleeves up. We got to go get sweaty. We got to go get with it. Once we decide to do that, we can be a really good football team. I think in terms of preparation, the one thing I was not expecting was this team to struggle with stopping the run considering they were coming off a option team last week or two weeks ago now in Furman and did a really good job against that offense and then you face an option back-to-back weeks and the second week you give up 409 rushing yards on the ground and to me and I don't think it's too hard to see in the box score and if you watch the game that was where the game shifted I mean Joe Newman yes he is more seasoned Uh, Darren Granger's been playing quarterback for what 20 games, I think we figured out. I was talking with Austin Herrick during that segment last week. Oh. And I think we, we, you talking about games. from high school on? Yeah. Oh, okay. In terms of quarterback position, because he didn't play until his senior year of high school. So he had you know, his senior year of high school and then four games in his first year, and then this year he's had, what, four or five games. Now, Joe Newman is a senior who is really dialed in, has been on the field a lot, has been running this scheme a lot, and they don't, quite frankly, look to pass as much as Furman does. So, yes, they are a little bit different, but – the thought of back-to-back weeks helping and defending the options seemed to go right out the window, and I don't understand why that is. Well, and I think some things have to be considered. Number one, Wofford had tape on how ETSU True. was defensing things, and tr- and they took advantage of a couple of cutbacks and some other things where maybe ETSU's speed, which they do have good speed on defense, was able to cut back. The other thing, ETSU against Wofford has yet to hold him under 305 yards in the four games they've played. If nothing else, you kind of because ETSU has handled almost every offense at least once they played. Uh, you know, even Sanford from the time they they beat him the the first go around to Wofford last time, which Wofford had been averaging almost 400 something yards against the Bucks in all the games they've been able to play each other. I mean, you look at all the numbers, and for whatever reason, the scheme or the talent or whatever Wofford's reasoning is they've done a very good job the other thing is I think Joe Newman right now the last three games is literally he's the best player in the Southern Conference right now in the last three games I mean just watching him run that offense and I watched including this one I've watched all five games multiple times Mm. it is insane once they figured out to go back to what Wofford is, and they have to be kicking, they have to be kicking themselves, and be like, "Why did we do that for two games?" Because they would have beat South Carolina State, and I don't, I don't care how improved South Carolina State is, they would have beat South Carolina yeah. State. I'm convinced they would have beat Sanford, and they'd be sitting there five and zero, top ten nationally ranked, setting up with a massive showdown down the road with Furman, and everything's going. Now I think Wofford even if they were to lose to Furman and continue to win out, they, it's a little tough because you're looking at that's only – that's eight eight wins. Now, I will say this. They did not play a non-Division right. one team. So, they will get credit for eight wins. And so, eight and four 
would get them in if they play 12 games. I'd have to go back and look at their schedule. Some teams are only playing 11 games. They do the double bye. If they do that, they're they're talking about a 7-4, and four, and now you're a little more iffy. And that South Carolina State could come back to bite you in that situation if you only play the, the 11 games instead of 12. If you play 12, you get that eighth win, you're going to be pretty good. But if they're one of those teams in the Southern Conference, which half the teams did, decide to take a double bye and rest up, probably because they're thinking playoffs – now you're in a situation where you have to win all the game. Maybe you lose the firm, but you got to win the rest. Here's the issue for them: is they only have 11, and one of them is at Clemson. It's probably a loss. <laughs> so uh, and, uh, puts, so you got 10 chances basically, uh, yeah. and two of them are gone, and they're losses. Yeah. So and 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 if you don't beat Furman, there's four. So you're looking seven and four, and then then you have to play the the what if game. Well, did the rest of the year did that help them get in? Does their name? Wofford, right? They've been in the playoffs a lot. They've won games a lot. Sometimes reputation matters. But it, I, I think they're just going to be kicking themselves because right now they'd be sitting undefeated. Maybe they lose Furman. Maybe they lose Wofford. And you're going, okay, you know, another ho-hum 9-2 and two year. We're really 9-1 and one in FCS. And, you know, they're still battling to, to be a, a home playoff team for, for the first round of the playoffs. And who knows where they go after that. I told the team in the locker room, just like this game, first half, we got our butts drug all over the field. Second half, you came out, fought, competed, actually won the second half. Now, we're halfway through with this season. Two and four, to me, we've got our butts drug all over the field. It's up to us to come back out fighting, go win the second half of the season, and uh, we, can, we can still have a good year. And if we turn this thing around, have a good year, it'll be a great season to remember. Let's be positive again and put our blue and gold sunglasses on. To me, there's five winnable games on the schedule. You have Vanderbilt to close the year, sure. That's going to be tough, right? But at Chattanooga, at Sanford, and now Chattanooga, unless I'm mistaken, are they still undefeated in the conference? Are they Chattanooga? Yeah, they're 2-0. They're 2-0. They're two they're two now, they played nobody, right? I think they played Western and Mercer. Mercer, so not tremendous competition on the other side of the ball in terms of conference play. Our 2-0 have looked, I think, questionable at times outside of conference play, so that is going to be tough, no doubt, on a Thursday rivalry um, Gosh, last time ETSU was there was a game you just want to throw out, right? That was a oh, ten, my gosh. That was, that was a 10-3. Three. Yes. That the was. last game of the 2017 year, and it didn't seem like either team wanted to be there, really. Uh, so you've got at Chattanooga, then at Sanford, which looks a lot more manageable after what Furman just did to them and considering how ETSU played Furman, if you want to go with the opponent in common type thing. Home to Citadel. I think that's a winnable game. You have to defend the option better now. Of course, you have to look more like the defense that – one against Furman than the one that won against Wofford this past weekend. At Western Carolina, they look like a train wreck right now. And then home to Mercer. I mean, that could be five wins. I don't <laughs> know if it will be. I'm not sitting here predicting that is possible. But you get those five and you end the year five and three in conference, and all of a sudden people forget that you had that 0-3 start. It's been a tough I mean, I mean here, the Here's the deal. Here. You can lose Appalachian State and Vanderbilt, right? If you win the rest of your games, you're 7-3. and three. You add those in, you're seven and five, the, the, the FBS, but you're seven and three um, from that point forward if you win the rest of your games. And all of those are winnable. Coming in the year, the two teams everyone thought were going to be battling for the conference championship with ETSU maybe on the outside looking in was Furman and Wofford. You can still be that team by winning out the rest of the games. And I would think, besides a little bit of a rivalry game with Chattanooga, and of course, Chattanooga, I'm sure, would like to get the win back from last year at ETSU, there's certainly players that know each other, right? It's the one game for sure every year. There are a lot of either high school teammates versus one another. There are former high school rivals versus one another. Whatever it is, there's a lot, and there's always a little more chippiness, not just because it's ETSU Chattanooga, but sometimes those personal battles come into play. So 
got that going for you. And other than that, the toughest game on the road is Samford. And so the Bucks have beaten Samford before. They haven't last couple years. But, you know, that's still a winnable game for ETSU. Western Carolina, man, they are just a train wreck at best right now. And then Mercer, for whatever reason, wins the first couple. Everyone starts to believe, including myself, and then they just fall off the face of the map. So that's a winnable. And in Citadel, Citadel plays everybody tough, but they're they're in the same boat really as ETSU. They just haven't found many ways to win this year. So I think all five games are winnable, you know, depending on how Vandy finishes out the year. Who knows what, you know, if those guys are ready to play anymore. That should be, you know, if ETSU is not really battling for the playoffs. But let, let's be real, if ETSU rattled off, you're talking about really putting on the glasses. ETSU were to rattle <laughs> off five wins and beat Vanderbilt. Okay, yes. Now you're in the playoffs. Now we've crossed the line. Now you're in the playoffs. Now you've done. But, I mean, you, so for the, the well, the playoffs are done, not necessarily because if you were to win those five games and you get extra credit for beating an FBS team, you know, you get that extra half point in the committee's mind. So that's seven and a half wins. Again, let's do Wofford. I know Wofford would have beat them, but they'd only have seven true wins. By the committee's own standard, you would have a half point heads up on Wofford. Now, really, they put them in over Wofford. And there's a lot of things still to go on around FCS, but it, the playoffs aren't, aren't done. They're not great, but they're not done. You put yourself in a corner, but it's a corner you can work your way out of if you take it one game at a time keep following or I guess this year maybe start following coach Sanders advice and his philosophy and look back to last year figure out some of the things that worked in terms of behind the scenes type things because it seems like and I have no knowledge of any specific things but it just seems like if there's a more talented team on the field like coach Sanders says then well you're probably looking at motivation type things guys in it for either the right reasons or the wrong reasons if you're looking last year or this year respectively so things like that if you can find that right mix then you have a chance now it is going to have to be one game at a time and let's not forget the Chattanooga as we talked about in the show gosh a couple of weeks ago one of the most difficult schedules in the country at FCS so to say that they have looked shoddy at times yeah it may be true but consider the competition Jacksonville State 21 point loss that game was close at halftime of course Tennessee and a volunteer squad that had to win a game at some point right and I still don't think they have an FBS win so far this year. I think Chattanooga is their only win, 45 to nothing. And then James Madison, 37 to 14, number two in the country. And then you put up 94 combined on Western Carolina and Mercer. Of course, the season opening went against Eastern Illinois. So still kind of confusing as to what they may be. And we'll talk a lot more about them next week. But has to start with this first game if you want to make the kind of run that you and me are talking about. So I, I think what's interesting of note, if you were to get on a run, Right, and and you win, and, and even if ETSU, you know, went four and two the back half, okay, which still respectable, six and six, five hundred, maybe not the year they wanted, but if you look at it and got that momentum, five and one, four and two that last half, momentum going into the next year, on offense, you're losing Spagnoletti and Ben Blackman. In the two deep, I take that back. Jordan Anderson's the third tight end, and he's play time. So three guys. That is the three guys you lose. Everybody else is back on offense. Defense, a little more um, tough losses because you lose basically your starting front three in the Sierra player, Austin Rowan, and Jason Madua-Falkland. Now, I think Cayman Cody has stepped up and played very well. I think we've seen um, uh, what Trey Middleton, a freshman, has been able to do. Plus, I think Donovan they may Manuel. even try it. Donovan Manuel's a redshirt friend. So, you lose those three, and then Jared Folks – Jeremy Lewis, Artavia Smith. So a lot more key losses in the secondary. Well, I mean, in the defense, sorry, because you lose your front three, 
you lose a couple secondary guys. That being said, MJ Woods is going to step right into being a starter, right? I mean, he's going to go opposite of Tyree Robinson. I mean, I, I think you feel pretty good about that. I think you still feel good about Karanda Lentz. Quinn Smith has been out there for a lot of snaps. He'd move over to the other corner. He's playing every nickel down snap. So you feel good about secondary, everything else put in place. So you lose a little bit more. The defensive line would probably be the most concerning. Uh, and then depending on, you know, what does Weldon do if he comes back? Is there another quarterback in the mix? Everyone's going to get a little older there. But, you know, even though this is an experienced team, people are expecting a lot of – there's a lot of guys. I mean, this is actually really built for a, for a couple more years. They're just missing a, a few key pieces. They definitely need some depth on that defensive line. But offensively, another year, hopefully everything's starting to come together. Maybe at the end of this year, rolling into next year in spring practice. You know, last year, spring practice, they had – no quarterback other than Cam Lewis that was healthy <laughs> right. enough to go, right? Yeah, right? So they had Cam, and he's a playing receiver right now. Yes. So you would have to think the spring would be better. I just want to step back and admire, before we're done with this and go to basketball, Artavia Smith's play. I mean, he's leading the team in tackles. Lights out. Three interceptions of the four the team has, and also forced five fumble. breakups. A forced fumble, five breakups is tied for the team high. I mean, it's pretty incredible what he's doing. I know there's a lot of things outside of that to look at and say, oh, there's a lot of question marks and all this, but he's turning about a guy that's stepped up. And you're talking, he's one of the most feared uh, hitters out there right. right now. I mean, he he's laying people out. Can't and, talk and, about ETSC football without talking about him. Right I know. I agree. I agree. I'm glad you said that because I certainly don't want to gloss over what he's done. Now we'll transition to hoops. You had a chance uh, yesterday to go to media, media day. day. It was uh, actually, a, it was a fun I, time. I didn't get to go, so yeah. I look forward to hearing uh, Coach Ezell and Coach uh, Forbes talking with you about that. Then we'll be back to talk about bowl prediction on the other side of this timeout. Actually, the other side of the other side of the timeout, if you follow that, which uh, I'm sure you did because you're a smart guy. Right for this timeout, your Worms, Sandwich Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. What? Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Sandos and the Sidekick is on the road today. My name is Mike Gallagher. Sandos Liss here on this Monday from Asheville. This is airing Tuesday, of course, at a Southern Conference Media Day. Head coach Brittany Azell joining me now. Head coach Steve Forbes of ETSU Men's Basketball a little bit later. But coach, being in Asheville is always a fun time. You can't wait till March, I'm sure, when the Southern Conference Tournament returns to what will be, I believe at that time, the Harris Cherokee yep. Center. It used yep. to be the U.S. Cellular Center. Picked fourth in the preseason poll. Erica Haynes-Overton preseason all-conference. Mm-hmm. Your initial thoughts looking at that poll and Erica making uh, the preseason all-conference. Well, first of all, Mike, I'm just excited to be on the show, okay? (laughs) I can hear it in your voice. I have been waiting to get on the show. You've had Randy on. You've had Steve on. I've just been waiting and patiently (laughs) waiting, and I don't appreciate the fact that Jay's not here for my introduction to Santos and the Psycho. I like to blame Jay for everything, so feel free to do so as well. So we are now referring to the podcast as as the sidekick, and that's it. And Jay's out. This is great news for me. Jay's out. So, um, you know, fourth is about right. That's probably where I would have picked us. I don't. I don't. 
think we're at the top. I don't think we're at the bottom. I think we're somewhere healthy in the middle. Um, I think Erica um, is the player of the year. I think she was uh, unfairly cast there as just a member of the all-conference team. Statistically, there's nobody better on both ends of the floor, but I'm also very, very biased. Um, and I'm okay with that. But, um, yeah, I know fourth, is, it is what it is. And at the end in March when we come back here and, you know, Pax Tavern's full of ETSU fans and hotels are crawling with blue and gold, nobody's going to care what the preseason poll says. So it's awesome. Put it on paper, write it down, but we'll throw it away as soon as we get home. I'm biased, too, obviously, <laughs> on Santos the sidekick. But Erica Haynes-Overton on both ends, and Chloe Wanick's a heck of a player. Great. We know that she can, on the offensive end, do it all. Yeah. But if you're talking about maximum effort on both ends, Erica Haynes-Overton back-to-back Southern Conference Defensive Player of yeah. the Year. She's right now one of three in your program's history to win three major conference awards, and she's only yeah. been here two, two years. years. So yeah. she's probably got a couple more coming. So it does <laughs> seem a bit odd that she wasn't at some point over her career cast as preseason player of the year, yeah. at least yeah. You know, and no disrespect to anybody else that was voted for, and it, it's difficult when you have to, you know, look at paper and try to put, you know, a number ranking to a kid because, you know, Chloe's a great player. I mean, the, there's there's up and down the board the kids that were nominated, but statistically, you couldn't argue with it, and that's where I get hung up, and that's where I get hung up for her, and I hope she puts a chip on her shoulder and goes out and becomes the Defensive Player of the Year for the third year in a row, and I hope they have to rename the award the Erica Haynes-Overton Defensive Player of the Year Award because she's dominated it for so long, but um, her growth's been really cool to see, Mike. I mean, who she is as a person, who she's becoming as a student, as a leader, it's just awesome, and uh, this would just be another feather in her cap to get another award, but you're never going to question that Erica is going to work and earn everything that she gets. People don't give us things just because we're ETSU. We really have to earn it. She's likely to break the program record for steals this year. Right. She's on track to break the Southern Conference record for steals. Probably not going to get to the overall record in the NCAA, which I think is like 700 yeah. by someone in Division Three or something like that. But anyway, point being, uh, Micah Sheets, <laughs> and speaking of bias, I'm also biased on this point, right. but Micah Sheets did not make the yep. Southern Conference preseason team. Now, she broke her career high or matched it five, five separate times, times. Yep. in conference play alone. That was just in conference play yeah. last year. So seems a bit strange your thoughts on that and the year that she's expected to have coming yeah, up? Really kind of strange considering she was uh, one of the top ten players at the end of the year last year and then coming back to start the year this year, she's not one of the top ten. I guess they must have played some games during the summer that I missed out <laughs> they on. They didn't let you know about she that? She probably just missed those due to injury. But yeah, I'm disappointed for her, but Micah's not the kind that really gets hung up on that. Micah goes about her business in such a steady way and um, she with Erica and Kaya being you know all freshman team last year. So we had three of the top 15 performers last year Year. So and they're all in the backcourt. So I think we got a lot of fun coming back in, in uh, our guard play. And I, I know Michael would probably be a little disappointed and irritated by it, but good, you know, good. Like I said, read it in the paper, throw it away tomorrow. But uh, it's not going to change who they are. Let's talk about post depth. Sedasia Tips, uh, Raven Dean, Lexus Spears, and I'm forgetting Brittany one. Snowden. Brittany Snowden, of course, a GA that is back in. Brittany Snowden, who was third on the team in scoring each of the last two years, yeah. really turned it on in conference play last year. Uh, four really solid players in their own right and in their own ways. You lose all of them. You bring in six newcomers, all of which I believe are 5'8 or taller, yeah. including a six foot four yeah. Tiana uh, Kimbrough. So you've got a lot of size coming in, and I'm quite sure there's going to be some competition for those <laughs> minutes down low during the preseason. Yeah, there's a lot of minutes to be had, and, and if we necessarily, if we had to, I can play five guards. I'm okay with that. But, you know, I, I think what the uh, newcomers are trying to learn is the way that we work, uh, what's acceptable, what's the standard, what's our consistency level, um, and if we can get them to defend 
defend and rebound, they'll be fine. People always come in and think, oh, if I score, I can play. That's not true. Who can you guard? And if you can't guard anybody, then you probably can't play. So we're trying to figure out right now who they can guard. Got a lot of great size, a lot of athleticism. They're just really trying to figure it out on on day nine that we had uh, this morning. So, uh, yeah, if they get it figured out, I think we'll be fine. I hated losing that senior class. You know, I adored them. They worked their tail off for us. But um, it's nice to have Brittany back trying to help mentor these young ones and that was part of the reason that we did bring Brittany back but um, you know while you're you're sad to see him go it's what happens every four years it it rotates it breaks your heart you've got some great examples that are recent student athletes on staff now in Mallory Sher and Brittany Snowden both extremely hard workers not only on the court but in the classroom and Mallory's case also on the softball field so she brings a ton not only I'm sure lean by example but also for someone for the women to relate to and kind of play an intermediary between uh, yourself and them if needed but yeah. those two plus Ashley Houts is new to your staff and you've also promoted uh, Keisha McClinic to associate head coach a lot of changes on the staff tell us about it yeah there's a lot of changes and I think you hit the nail on the head with Brittany and uh, Mallory coming back I mean both of them are remarkable students Mallory's a 4.0 uh, she was the winner of the SOCON postgraduate scholarship Brittany was the winner of the uh, commissioner's medal 3.85 and her GPA was actually 3.94 um, so it, they're a great example of what we want our kids to aspire to be you know Ashley Houts was an American at the University of Georgia at the point guard position. Uh, played professionally for nine years in the WNBA and overseas, so brings a lot of immediate credibility to the guards. Um, Keisha deserves her promotion. Uh, loyalty, in, in my eyes, is something that's very, very rare. And you can find somebody that's loyal not only to you, but loyal to the school, to the program, and especially to the kids, uh, then you really need to embrace that and hold on to it. And, and she's done a good job of putting her mark on the program academically, working with the guards, and, and she's really branching herself out and, and trying to grow into a role that she wants somewhere down in her future because my job is not only to coach my team but to coach our coaches and prepare them for whatever next step they want to take. November 5th, University of Tennessee, Freedom Hall. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the matchup speaks for itself. What do you have to say about it at this point in the preseason? Still four weeks until you do take them on. The Vols and Kelly Harper, a friend yeah, of yours, her fun. first game for University of Tennessee. There's a lot of storylines to be had. What first comes to mind when we talk about that matchup? Still a month away. Uh, it's still a month away. While it's real and it's it's there, it's just kind of looming in the background for me. Um, I've got to focus on preparing our kids for a little bit of everything, and we haven't really specifically got into Tennessee yet. And uh, all in due time, we will. But uh, what I would hope is that we sell it out. I hope that we pack it. I hope it's standing room only. I hope it's a hard ticket. And I hope people keep coming back because the product we've put on the floor is that good. They just can't turn away. I promise we'll have you back. Jay can't say anything to the contrary. You'll be back. We're going to talk about this. We'll talk about the New England Patriots. We can talk (laughs) about anything you want to talk about, Jay. But stop being selfish. Stop being selfish. selfish. (laughs) My message to Jay all the time. Thanks, Coach. Of course, Mike. Thanks. All right, Coach Zell steps aside. She's on her way to her coach's meeting. Now we have head coach Steve Forbes, ETSU men's basketball, and 100 wins in four years, Coach. That's something I'd like to start with first. Obviously, we'll talk about the preseason poll, Davian, Jerome, and Bone being named all-conference. But first, the keys over your first four years, I think you're top 15 in the country in win percentage over those four years. So obviously, that consistent success, you don't find it often in the droves that you've had it. What would you point to over these first four years to say this is why this has been possible? I think first and foremost, we have a tremendous commitment from our institution. Starting at the top with Dr. Nolan, it was with Dr. Sander when I got hired as the AD, and now Scott Carter. Those people are committed to us um, having a a top-quality program. Our fan base is the best in our league. And then I think just having really good players. You know, I found found out really early in my career that uh, great players make good coaches. 
And so I, if you look at our teams over the last four years, uh, they uh, we've had some really talented people. Uh, interesting, I, I, we've had four different leading scorers in four years. You know, so it hasn't just been one guy over a, you know a span of two or three years. It's been different people every year, and I, I think that's a testament to our consistency uh, the last four years. Seems like once again it could be any of six guys that are back this year: Trey Boyd, Dromi Rodriguez, Patrick Good, Bo Hodges, Davian Williams, and Isaiah Tisdale. Not only your top six scorers, but also the top six assisters on your team last year all had 60 plus assists. And your top rebounders back: Jeromey Rodriguez. I'm guessing looking at this coaches poll and media poll, both the exact same. ETSU, the league favorite. You think that they got it right yeah you know and, and that's that's nice for today you know mike and we'll embrace it but we're not going to put a lot of stock into it because you know we haven't never we've never finished what we've been picked anyway hopefully this will be the first year that happens <laughs> you know but uh it's it's nice i mean on paper yes we have a lot of uh, great players back uh, like you said we have three guys on the preseason all conference team but we could easily had other guys you know pat good was an all-league player last year at the end of the year, and uh, he wasn't on it. Trey Boyd was our leading scorer last year, and he wasn't on it. So, uh, but but Jeromey deservedly so, averaging a double double. I think maybe the only junior college player of one of two junior college players in the entire nation last year to average a double double in Division One basketball. Um, you know, Bo Hodges has continually made the pro- the steps to be a, a, an all level, all league level player. Got kind of hampered by injuries last year, came on late, but he's been really, really good all summer all fall um and Davian Williamson who had a great freshman year and you know was our leading scorer in our in our semifinal get lost to Walford he had 22 points um you know he's made the all-freshman team we'll see if he can make the jump to the all-league team which I think he can and and so yes there's a lot of positives when you look at the returners having our top six scores back seven of our top eight uh, it's probably the first time I've had that we look at Patrick Good, and we had him on the show, I'd say, about two or so weeks ago. He took us through the lengthy and arduous recovery from that hip injury, and it sounded like a complete hassle. It sounded like a big inconvenience, but it sounded like something he was determined to get back from, and it sounds like he is uh, getting close to 100%. I know he was at the open practice. He was able to participate there. He sounds like he's on track for day one. Is that your impression as well? Yeah, Pat's you know, been tremendous in his, in his rehabilitation and staying on schedule and, and just being really mature about you know, getting in there every day and doing what he has to do to get back on the court. Uh, that's a testament to him and, and Brett Lewis and our training staff to do that. But it's also something that he's got to be careful with and we've got to be careful with that we don't try to do too much too fast. And so, you know, we've kind of gone through this regimen over the last few weeks of, you know, taking a day off and maybe taking two days off. And so uh, we're working towards every day, but we're not quite there yet. But, but we're hopeful that, you know, as we progress into the season that he'll be able to go day to day. Not many gone from this team from last year. Milad Narmas is one, but you turn right around and get from Central Connecticut State. Joe Hughley, a guy that I know a lot of people are excited about, the first week or so of practice. What have you seen from him? Joe's been tremendous. Um, it started maybe when we went to Europe. You know, I think he was, if he wasn't our leading scorer, he was one of our leading scorers in Europe. Um, tremendous person, uh, very mature, focused on what he wants to do. You know, he, he brings a little bit different dimension to our team than maybe. What we've had in a while is he's a stretch power forward that can not only play this back to the basket, but he can make threes and shoots free throws at a very high clip. And, and so he brings a lot to the table, and uh, we're all excited. And, uh, 
very fortunate to have Joe on our program. That's one thing that I think looking at this team, and maybe Joe will be another guy like this. You look at, say, the Davian Williamson's, the Isaiah Tisdale, certainly the Jerome Rodriguez's efficiency is just incredible. And you've got Davian and Isaiah, who are also very athletic, can pass the ball, can also finish at the rim. And you've got Hughley, a, you know, element closer to the basket, where he's probably also a 52%, 53% guy. Uh, how important is that efficiency to make sure you're maximizing your possessions? I think it's really important, you know, to have different dimensions. And I think that's all part of putting a team together, Mike, is, is like a puzzle. You don't, a puzzle is not the 10 of the same pieces. You know, you have to fit the pieces together. And I think we've done a good job of putting together a, an, a, an entire team of guys who have different strengths and weaknesses. And and yes, I mean, if you look at uh, Tisdale, he shot the ball at a really high percentage last year. He had a very, almost a three-to-one assist turnover ratio. Just a very complete player, you know, but doesn't get a lot of the hype and a lot of the attention, but but one of the best kids I've ever coached. And Davian came on as the season went, kept going, and more of a scorer at that position. And, you know, you go you Trey and, uh, and Pat combined for almost uh, 173s at one position last year. You know, uh, Bo at the three. Vonnie Patterson's another new guy we haven't really talked about. As a junkyard dog, uh, can guard three or four positions. Uh, so yeah, we have a lot of a lot of depth, a lot of diversity. You know, you put Romy down in there at the four or the five, he can bang away. And now you have uh, Joe uh, Healy can, who can stretch the court, and Charlie Weber, a freshman. And we haven't even talked about Lucas Gasson, who's probably our starting going to be our starting five. I mean, at seven one, and he shot seventy percent from the field last year and 70% you know, from the free throw line. So there's a lot of offensive efficiency. we got to continue to get better defensively. Uh, we've got to rebound the ball, and we've got to shoot free throws. The beautiful thing about bringing back your top six scores, that depth certainly seems like at every position it's going to be there. Lastly, Jim Shouse and Pete Yannity up at the, um, I guess, luncheon portion of this SoCon Media Day talked about, you know, the, yeah, there are some guys that are gone from last year, and of course you're going to have that in every league, and it was such a banner year for the Southern Conference. That's probably more magnified, but I look at this preseason all-conference team headlined by Bo, Jerome, and Davian, and there's still outside of that a ton of names back. Jordan Lyons, Ross Cummings, James Dickey, Isaiah Miller, Josh Sharkey, Carlos Dotson, Nathan Hoover, yeah. Isaiah Miller, the preseason player of the year. It's not going to be an easy road. Of course you know that. I'm sure you're going to be preaching that throughout the preseason. Yeah, I just have too much respect for our league, too much respect for the coaches in our league, the players in our league to know that this is going to be a dogfight. You know, so that's why we've got to, you know, continue to progress. And that's why the non-conference is important. You know, we've got some home dates. Um, we've got at Kansas, at LSU, at North Dakota State, which will be a really hard game. You know, those are games that, you know, we've got to, to, to continue to show progress. So when we do get in league play, you know, we're going to be ready to go. Because we open up, we have Wofford. We, we start out sitting down the road. And then we got Wofford on, on uh, I think, New Year's Day. You know, so we go right into it. I think we play Wofford, Furman, and Greensboro all three in a row to start out league play. So we're going to find out real quick where we're at. Some awesome opponents on the schedule. First one that counts, of course, there's Limestone as an exhibition Friday, November 1st, November 6th against Newberry, your first game. They'll go in the win-loss column. We'll talk to you again on the show, but appreciate it, Coach. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Head Coach Steve Forbes on Santos and the Sidekick. We are back with more on this Tuesday afternoon on the Buccaneer Sports Network. ETSU fans, there is no more entertaining way to spend your Wednesday nights than with the human soundbite reel, Randy Sanders. It's big boy football. The Buccaneer head coach joins Jay Sandos live at Wild Wing Cafe every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. And if you can't make it to downtown Johnson City to have chicken wings and tater tots with coach, you can listen right here on AM640.
all fall long, ETSU head football coach Randy Sanders, Wednesday nights. What time is it anyway? 6 p.m. on the Sports Monster. Everyone in the stadium and across the NFL world is aware that quarterback Andrew Luck decided to retire. Antonio Brown ditches practice again after another issue with his helmet. There is a code that has been broken here with Antonio Brown. He's just not a good human. But unless you've been living under a rock, you guys all know that the AAF is folded. Wide receiver Josh Gordon has been reinstated and is now eligible to return to New England. The great Bill Belichick keeps giving Gordon chances. Tennessee head coach Rick Barnes told reporters flat out, if UCLA had paid his buyout, he probably would be at UCLA now instead of at Tennessee. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. A simple wrong would have done just fine. How fast can we do this? Well, let's see what we got here. I mean, we're, uh, we're coming up on an hour, so I think as quick as possible would be great. All right, my ETSU prediction was off. Yeah, so was mine. Uh, I had two of the worst college try to look up in the last uh, 30 <laughs> seconds of a show. Uh, although my Bill and Mary wasn't quite that bad. That was um, pretty impressive. Uh, they, Bill and Mary nearly pulled it off. Yeah. It's my Wildcats. Yeah. So, uh, why are they my Wildcats? I don't know. But Nova, Nova ended up winning that, and I don't know why Colorado State, no one in the world, even Colorado State fans didn't care about that bull prediction. 24 to 10, Colorado State lost. They're now 1 in 5 to San Diego State. William and Mary, Solid. I believe it was overtime against Villanova. They ended up losing. And what, 250 plus rush yards? I don't even want to look uh, and see how that went. I, uh, Nova, if I'm not mistaken, scored in the last two minutes of that, too. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry, not overtime. It was uh, going yeah, in the last They two scored in the last two minutes. 45 but, yeah. 38, I think. Yeah. And then, yeah, 250 plus rush yards, four, 95 rush yards. For me, I said the exact score. And you were quick to gobble that up that prediction. I said 19-13 to 13, ETSU would win. Obviously, it didn't go that way. I said three of the four division series would be sweeps. Ironically, it was your twins. painfully <laughs> enough for me, of course, the Minnesota Twins did that. Uh, we're swept by the Yankees. But the other two that I predicted, I think the Dodgers are going to five with the Nationals. So are the right? Braves. And well, Carter. and I said that that was going to be a That was the one. one. So that, that was nice. the one. And then um, – the Houston Astros have a chance race. to wrap up today, right? It's 2-1. Yeah, that's right. So that'll be, that could be in four, but anyway, not correct. And I said New England would have two fourth down attempts without Steven Goskowski. They had one, but that game got kind of out of hand after. And they didn't get it, by the way. The, no, they didn't. The, yeah, the they skin. Stopped it by like two yards, year. like negative two they yards. They hadn't tried one all year. So they did I a direct was, snap to, uh, I think it was. Um, James White, maybe? Yeah, James White, that's who it was. They did a direct snipe, and, and instead of going right up the gut, it was a sweep, and it did not go well. I hate that. It did not go well. Down. No wonder they don't go for it very often. But anyway, 0 for 3 for each of us. I'm now 2 and 12 in bowl predictions. You're 1 and 13. Go ahead. 1 and 13. Try to beat you. All right. Uh, now, Thursday's show, we're going to talk uh, our thoughts on preseason polls, uh, all conference uh, preseason selections, men's and women's basketball. So we'll talk about that. In the third segment, we'll go top 25. The fourth segment, we'll get both predictions for the weekend. Might as well be even worse. Same second. Come on, we can do this. You think? We're not going to give up this early. Are I, we? Feel we real good. Like... I feel real good about my bowl predictions coming up. Do you? I do. Already I've already got them. I've already got them for Thursday. That that I'm going on to be it. Epically bad I'm on it. Preparation level using. All right. Thursday, Sandra Sidekick on the Buccaneer. Sports Network. See ya.